Welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. My name is Camille, and today is part one of four of the DreamWorks series featuring Geraldine Mattis. There's a whole ramble, five minutes, um, as a separate episode, a bonus episode, which I think it's the episode right before this one, that explains the project, but essentially Geraldine, uh, wow, she's a mentor, a dear friend, a very wise woman, and she has been working with dreams for a very long time. So uh, we've come to create this little project of four-part series where she guides me through my own dream interpretation. And this episode, we discuss archetypes, projection, shame, trauma and we explore uh one of my childhood dreams that was a recurring dream for me as a child and yeah i won't tell you that much more i think the episode it speaks for itself it was such an incredible experience for me um yeah i'm still processing it actually i think i will be for quite a while and there will be three more episodes to come so every three weeks we will record an episode and in doing so we will be working with my dreams through all four stages of my menstrual cycle so as we go along it'll be interesting to explore the subtleties or maybe not so subtle um, ways in which different stages of the menstrual cycle show up um, in my dreams so yeah, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I certainly did. It was very profound for me. It's a little bit, I don't know that daunting's the right word, but this is definitely some sacred work. So I feel very privileged that you're uh, listening and I really hope that this episode inspires you to connect more deeply with the vast ocean of your psyche. Oh, and one more thing, there is a a website page on my website, which is becomingfullyhuman.ca slash dreamwork. And on that page, every time we come out with one of these four parts, there will be a blog post for you to leave any comment or question you have for myself or for Geraldine, anything that comes up for you that you want to share or ask, um, please do. Uh, Geraldine will be tuning into the page and anything that needs longer format or feels relevant to be answered in the next episode we will do that um or she'll leave a comment or if if the question or comment is for me i will reply as well on the page itself so you can check the show notes for that i will also link to all of geraldine's information um in the podcast show notes okay i hope you enjoy one thing i thought we would talk about instead of talking about ahead of time was my like and it's not that it's the main narrative in my mind but there's definitely the underlying narrative of like my dreams aren't good enough to be interpreted I can't remember them well enough like especially since we've agreed to do this dream series I'm like really trying to you know put them down and I swear my brain's like no 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 you get a fragment of your dream (laughs) that's all you can remember or I'll remember it you know I'll wake up an hour really before I wake up and I kind of like rolling around and I'm like wow that's a very vivid vibrant dream but I'm still so asleep 
So the like tension between, do I get up and write this down and just I'm up for the day or do I keep resting and trust that I will remember what I need to remember? Like, well, how, what are your thoughts? on? <laughs> well, I think we should actually discuss that. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, really the psyche is like the Pacific ocean and our ego is mm -hmm. like a little pinhead mm -hmm. bobbing on mm -hmm. the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure about you, but I would not trust the judgment of a pinhead bobbing along the top of the Pacific Ocean to tell me how important where, where the Pacific Ocean is bringing it is or is not. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the mistake we make mm -hmm. is with respect to dreams and the psyche and synchronicities, Mm -hmm. We have an idea of what is worthy and not as worthy. And in working with dreams, we need to actually approach it as everything is worthy. And we don't know. Mm -hmm. And we can only know by asking about it and becoming curious about it. Mm -hmm. And so part of the problem with, with all sorts of new age ideas around becoming woke and becoming you know, um, in tune with your psyche mm -hmm. is that we actually impose on psyche our ideas of what we want it to be or should be. Mm -hmm. And actually it works the other way around. Mm -hmm. We need to be surprised. I mean, I never thought of that. Well, what about that? I don't know what that is, but I'm going to stay with it. So right away, the fact that you're, you're saying to yourself, my dreams aren't good enough to share actually demonstrates a hubris Mm. it's really a kind of almost a, like a spiritual hubris mm -hmm. and I don't think that it's the only voice in my mind like there's a lot of different things going on but that's definitely one that's present another is yeah. like, which I mentioned to you is the fear or discomfort I don't know if it's a fear of of the well, it's both. It's the vulnerability of being put out there, but also the sacredness of some things. Like that's something I'm really learning at the moment is like not everything should be put out there. And like, where does the line, I guess this isn't as applicable to people who just want to work with their dreams, right? They just work with their yeah. dreams and within with someone like you. Um, but to be putting it out there, you help me kind of re like, focus that because at first I was like do I even want to do this work in a public mm -hmm. sphere and what are your thoughts on that yeah well you see you've already put yourself out there Camille mm -hmm. so it's different than if I all of a sudden started talking about my dreams mm -hmm. but you've already put yourself out there and shared all of your process and in a way it's it's more honest Mm -hmm. for you to share the process of your psyche as it arises mm -hmm. without any preparation, without any, I think I know what this means or any judgment, right. but that, that that is actually the true work. Mm -hmm. And another thing I wanted to discuss before we dive in is, um, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit about this ego, you know, pinhead in the, in the ocean thinking that it knows like what what is the maybe danger is too big a word but maybe not like what is the 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 risk of 
self-interpretation. Like you have so much experience um, helping people navigate. And I know I asked you this a long time ago, like, can, can someone heal their, you know, their traumas alone? And you had, it was like, it, for me, quite a beautiful moment. Like it really, you know, um, I know where we were in the forest in, in you know, on the island, the island. And it really like landed that, no, like you can get so far, but you need people to um, mirror things to you. So I, I know in this like, you know, woke culture, I'm seeing so many people talk about dream analysis and working with your dreams, but kind of from a place with, of, of no wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What, how do you feel or what do you think about? Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, we can't interpret our own dreams or our psyche accurately. Mm. because we all have blind spots and we have like defenses and denials that we can't see. Mm -hmm. And so it's through witnessing and becoming curious about our projections, Mm -hmm. our responses to things that we begin to see our defenses or denials. But when we are not practiced, Mm -hmm. and I mean practiced by decades of practice, Mm -hmm. we will always bypass the parts that are too difficult where our ego is very resistant. Mm-hmm. And part of the role of therapy is to push up the, against the defenses a little bit so the person can see a little bit what they're afraid of, mm-hmm. what they're resisting, where they don't want to go, what don't they want to break down, mm-hmm. what are their judgments. So that's why you, we can't do it on our own. And the other thing is really part of why we can't do it on our own is because it's too terrifying to do it on our own. Mm-hmm. And it's too dangerous because we can go into places where where we can become identified with an archetype. And next thing we know, we're Jesus or the guru who's going to heal the whole world. And we're not. Mm-hmm. You know, or we think we're the reincarnation of Cleopatra, and we're not. We're just human beings whose psyche is presenting to us. Mm. archetypal images archetypal processes Mm -hmm. from which we can begin to understand how we are connected to the cosmos Mm -hmm. both in the now real time and also in really the historical time of the human endeavor so if i'm having a love affair i'm not aphrodite Mm -hmm. but the archetype of aphrodite is working through me Mm-hmm. And if I understand that, then I'm not in the danger of identifying with the archetype and, and really the dangers of spiritual pride. Can you so, mm-hmm. just explore just briefly the, the concept of archetypes and metaphors even um, mm-hmm. as they relate to dreams? Right. Okay. I just will say one more thing about yeah, the, yeah. The, Sorry. So there's the danger of doing yourself. The other thing is, is that you cannot walk where you have never walked before. You need someone to walk with you. So when if you have your first period and you're all alone and you have no idea what it means, it can be a terrifying experience. But if you have someone who understands what that means and can walk you through it, and help you receive it in a healthy way, mm-hmm. it's not a terrifying experience. And so too with many things of the dream. So also too, it's like you need a midwife. 
mm-hmm. to sit beside you as you go into those dark places that might be painful. That is really the place that's giving birth to yourself. And it's not a good idea for people to be alone in birth. Mm. Too much can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And you need all of your attention. Like the birthing woman needs all of her attention on her giving birth, Mm -hmm. not on juggling things, Mm -hmm. manipulating what people think or don't think or putting news out about it. You just need to be present. And that's why you need a midwife at your side to help you stay present to your process and help you understand if the process is getting you into deep trouble or whether the process is normal. It's like, yep, it's normal to feel like this. It's normal to feel. No, maybe things aren't so good. The baby's heartbeat and you have to negotiate that. So in a way I'm using the idea of midwife as an archetype. You know, when I say midwife, you get an idea of, ah, this is like a whole field of endeavor and approach to life. And so really what an archetype is, is kind of like an ancestral conglomeration of ideations, experiences, projections that our human mind has placed on communications from the psyche. So that through all of that, we understand ah, mother is this. Mm. And so mother becomes an archetype because it's this collection from many, many, you know, generations and experiences. And then, ah, father is this. Mm. Now there's always the current social constructs that get imposed on that. But archetypes are kind of like timeless. Right. The archetype of love, the archetype of truth. And so when we're looking at dreams, we're trying to look as like, what are the archetypes the dream is communicating to us? Is this this dream about fear? Is this dream about love? Is this dream about, you know, the masculine relationship to the feminine? What is it? And Mm -hmm. then we start to parse it down to the personal. But always the archetypal energy is driving through us on a personal level, which accounts for why somebody's interested in being a musician or someone's interested in building houses or why someone has a love for animals, that that archetypal energy that comes through the history of humankind is Mm. working through them. Mm. And so you have the child who wants to be a musician and everyone else in the family is a doctor, you know, and they're saying, why don't you, what do you want? What are you doing such a stupid thing for? Well, the family, the rest of the family is identified with the healing archetype. Mm. But that child who's getting a hard time from the family is identified with the archetype of of music. And that has its own sphere. Mm. So part of understanding dreams is actually understanding the archetypes. Right. So, you know, a horse in your dream is going to be different than a horse in my dream because it has to do with my associations, my ancestral connections, my experience what I understand a horse to be this is some I mean this is related to the the concept of archetypes in dream and I guess the projection the the fact that we are projecting the dream right um I've heard this and I have a feeling it's well it's either definitely more nuanced than what I understood but I've heard everyone in the dream is you 
yes, that, that's, that is how sort of Freud and Jung approached it. Mm -hmm. And that I would say the majority of the time that is true. It's some aspect of yourself that you're projecting into the dream. Right. Now, sometimes when people are working very deeply with the psyche, they might pick up on collective ideations and they might even pick up on something that is speaking to the future. Mm. And so there's two aspects. There's the personal unconscious and the collective unconscious. Now, one of the things that you, and when you're working with people with dreams, you learn to see how the dream is both personal, but also how they're connected to a collective ideation. Mm -hmm. So let me see if I can find an example. Um, let's say they're dreaming about wolves and the wolf is threatening to devour them. Now that could be a personal relationship to the idea of wolf and what a wolf represents, wildness or whatever, but also there's a collective ideation around wolves. Mm. You know, they're often appear in fairy tales as the evil thing. So then when there's a large kind of collective ideation around something, it's important to examine it both from the collective perspective and the personal perspective. And then what about, um the influence of say someone watching a horror movie before bed and then mm -hmm. having horror filled dreams, you know, or something mm -hmm. along those lines, like the, is there, is there a period like a sacred period before bed, or even maybe it's just in general, what you expose yourself to how much of a role does that play in, um, in the dream world? Right. So, you know, it's, we are always driven by the unconscious. So if I'm choosing to watch a horror flick, it's not just my conscious self. Mm. There's something unconscious that's driving me. And it may well be an unconscious aspect that wants you to look at it. Wow. So you cool. choose the horror movie and some feedback comes through that. Mm. You know, I remember I was had this, it's, I write about it in my book, which is soon to be published, but mm. I wrote about this, this man I met who shared just, I was at the Pilates studio and he just shared this dream with me. He goes, Oh, you look like a psychiatrist. I'd be like, well, I'm not, I'm a psychologist. Well, I had this dream. What do you think about it? He was very sarcastic. And the dream was that he was swimming in the ocean and all of a sudden the ocean became filled with cows. And one of the cows picked him up between her horns and swam her safely to shore. And I was like, I was flabbergasted because of course I was working on my dissertation and the theme of Hathor, the Egyptian cow goddess, who, guess what? She rescues the sun god from going back into nothingness by picking him up between her horns and taking him safely to shores. That's, that's, like, that's like a 12,000 year old image. And, the, and I go, wow, that's, uh, that's quite the dream you had. And he goes, oh, it's probably because I was watching something about cows in Australia last night. Mm. I said, maybe, maybe not. Mm -hmm. And then I said, so tell me a little bit about yourself. And so he started to talk to me about, you know, he was like in treatment for alcoholism that he lost his job. He was a professional, just kind of like pissed off with life and trying to get his life back together. And of course, basically, he was trying to rescue his soul. Mm. And Psyche spoke. But in his mind, 
because he probably hadn't come to understand the importance of how psyche speaks to us, that it was just because he'd watched this thing about cows. It was like no, that huge gift. It was a that's huge like, gift. It's blowing my mind too, because I, I feel this in terms of relational dynamics, right? We attract partners that we need as mirrors to grow. Like there's, there's, it's not just random, like chemistry. There's something there that is for us to learn and see ourselves and better understand ourselves. At least that's how um, I've come to see a lot of the, I mean, we call them like toxic relationships, but really it's like a co-creation of something that we're, we're being shown that we need or we're being offered, given the opportunity to grow from. So to see that, like to think of the, the being attracted to watching something that is actually needs to be seen is amazing really yeah exactly well in, in a way it's synchronetic you see yeah the psyche is always trying to guide us to what needs to be known yeah wow but we have all these ego judgments that discard that couldn't be important that couldn't be important but maybe it's the simple dream about the mouse coming to eat cheese yeah that becomes the most profound dream of your life and you know what it, it's you sharing that is a very is humbling the right word i'm not sure because i definitely have had judgments recently about what people expose themselves to and you know what they binge watch or what they but really like who the hell am i to know what process someone else needs to go through and how they can come about having that process like yeah whoa yeah, yeah. exactly so, yeah, so really, even in the whole becoming conscious movement, we have a lot of ego judgments that get in the way of really valuing why we all do what we do, mm. because something from the unconscious is driving us to understand our projections, to understand, you know, something about our soul. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, she's always going out with guys like that. Like, hasn't she learned her lesson yet? no. She no, hasn't she learned what she needs to know because no. she hasn't gotten into relationship with the type of man she goes out with yeah. to understand herself. Mm-hmm. So once she starts coming like, oh, I'm repeating this pattern of behavior all the time. What is it about me? Not the guy. I mm-hmm. keep picking the wrong guy. No, mm-hmm. look, it's not the wrong guy. He's actually the right guy mm-hmm. because you're, he's caring for you a projection that you need to understand to understand yourself more fully. Mm. So humbling, I think you've used the word a few times already, Camille. Mm. The only way we can approach the dream is from a place of humility. Mm. Because truly, we do not know. Yeah. And I sometimes call the psyche, you know, the voluptuous unknowing. Mm. I love that. I've loved that from you. Yeah. And it's also that if we... Yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, if we if we hold that, that what we don't know is voluptuous, yeah, as opposed to this sort of terrifying void that will devour us, it it changes our whole ability to be receptive. And I find it also quite beautiful to think that our our life, our bodies, our psyches are guiding us home in you know in the way that 
there's a lot of societal judgment of, you know, this is a good behavior and this is a bad behavior and this is a, you know, an addiction and this is a this. And, and like with so much force, we go about trying to not do things, right? You shouldn't be doing that. But it's like, but why? But if you shouldn't be doing it and yet you're doing it, like explore that relationship without the force of like, you know, just quit smoking. It's like, well, or explore why your body, like from this place of, of self-preservation or calling home is, is like gravitating towards that relationship, that substance that, you know, whatever it is, it's, I, it's quite beautiful. Right. Well, it's sort of like the, the ego pathologizes mm-hmm. because it puts things into right or wrong. Right. sellable or not sellable we can right. get power or not power with this mm-hmm. and we have and the and the egoic mind has an idea of the perfected self mm-hmm. because when the self is perfected it will have all power it will have power over its body it will have power over its thinking and it can have power and influence in the world mm-hmm. now that is so counter to how the psyche works Mm-hmm. because in the psyche nothing is pathologized mm-hmm. and nothing is perfect from the ego's perspective mm-hmm. it's just all the big soup of being and so all of our so-called dysfunctional behaviors neurotic behaviors addictive behaviors for example are none of them above they're behaviors that are expressing somehow how we are connected to psyche mm-hmm. they're they're reflecting the archetypes at work in us. So once in therapy, for example, I'll work with people and they have shame, you know, because of whatever, I had an eating disorder or whatever. And so if we are in shame, we can't face the fact that we are not a perfected self. A lot of people enter therapy or programs because we're all trying to become a perfected self. Mm. So we can have power. Mm-hmm. We can have you know, authority mm-hmm. over ourself in the world. So once we begin to understand that so-called neurotic or dysfunctional behavior was actually functional with respect to keeping us alive, yeah, to keeping us with hope, to keeping us connected to the imaginations that we need to move forward with to, towards our wholeness. So it's not that the behavior is wrong, or bad but once we get into the relationship what does it mean to eat and vomit Mm. what is happening what is the expression of that who is present in that reality and then slowly one begins to understand ah i was my psyche and my body myself were having a conversation Mm -hmm. but maybe a wounded self or an angry self or whatever Mm-hmm. And then we start to accept the functionality of the behavior. And as we accept that, then the transformation can take place. Mm-hmm. So part of even in all this movement of self-help and self-healing and visualization, we're all aiming for the perfected self. Right. And Which, that actually, yeah, it, re- it reinforces the, like the underlying unworthiness, fear, shame, yeah, it, it's killing actually is what it yeah. is. Yeah. Because there's no room for the soul. 
Mm. And the soul dwells in, in, in the whole mess of everything. Mm. So for working with my dreams, um, I would love to start, and I'm not sure how this works, right? Does from, from, um, we're going to do it every three weeks. Is it one dream we're working with or will it evolve? You mentioned, cause there's the dream that feels like it wants to be worked with is a childhood dream that it, I had recurringly and is still so vivid in my mind. Um, and you had mentioned that it is probably still present in an evolved way. Um, but dreams lately have been very like all over the place. So I'm wondering, like, just, you know, I'm waking up remembering just the little fragment of it or, um, yeah, would, would it be okay to start with that dream? And as we progress through this, see how, or what comes up as that evolves. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a problem with dream interpretation because we cannot beforehand say this is a worthy dream. Yeah. So I don't know that it's worthy. I just know that it's vivid. Like it's so present still to this day, like how many decades later? Um, I mean, when I work with people, Camille, I always start, I always ask them if they have recurring dreams or recurring themes in their dreams, mm -hmm. because usually there's something central happening. So I Mm -hmm. would suggest to work there. And also what becomes interesting after you work with a person in their dreams, well, it's like the same themes come up over and over. So the dream from two months ago you work with, and it brings you back to today. Mm -hmm. It's because it's sort of like, it's like all dreams lead to the one dream that is you. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, you probably wouldn't, like you could understand that if you were to read my book and to read the main dream that I'm working with. And that dream is the essence of me and the essence of a particular archetype that has worked through me from my whole life and continues to work through me. Mm. And, um, and all my dreams are related to that dream. Right. And so it's an interesting thing. So recurring dreams and all the dreams will work to, to actually, this is Camille. Mm. So, so I say that to really encourage you just to trust the dream. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, I have- and the curious thing is, is once we start talking about it, the psyche is like, whoa, she's paying attention let's go and they'll start she'll start giving you stuff to just take a very big breath and really ground yourself in your body and move out of judgment and move out of the desire to have anything go a particular way. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get to that place, let me know. How long do you have? My life, the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, I'm there, but I, in acknowledging that I still have the tension of both, of, of like a deep, devotion to truth whatever it looks like and simultaneously like you had said you know don't prejudge things don't 
uh, you know, and I still, as I write dreams, I'm like, oh, that is going to be, you know, like that's a useful dream and that's a fret. So I, I think all I can um, honestly attest to is that my intention is absolutely there, but it is not um, all of me. Like the. Right. It's hard to shut down the judging voice. Yes. Okay, so we know that that even though your intention is to be as humble and open to what psyche has to say, mm-hmm. your ego wants to be in the peanut gallery. It does. Okay, so we will accept that. That is your psychic <laughs> reality. So from this place, what, in, from a feeling level, what dream most wants us to see it? that childhood dream is me playing hide and seek, but I don't find anyone. It's, it's by the, an an ocean, a huge ocean. And there's big rocks, um, like, uh, like stepping stones and there's caves and I'm like jumping from rock to rock, looking in the caves for people. And then I somehow fall in the ocean and I'm sinking deep, like far slowly and peacefully and there's huge whales around me. And I used to be terrified. I still am afraid of whales, to be honest. I have this like appreciation of them, but like deeply rooted in a fear of their vastness. Mm-hmm. And so I'm falling in the water and breathing isn't an issue. Like there's just not a factor, but I'm, I can just see myself falling and there's huge whales around. And I used to have that dream all the time. Right. Yeah. When was the last time you had that dream or something like it? Um, not for a very long time. There's a lot of like elements to it, maybe mm-hmm. that exists, but as it is, nothing like more recently, there's more like you know, in, in the, in the journey, there's more, you know, stress involved that childhood dream. It was so, even though I was afraid of whales and even though I was falling into the abyss of the ocean, there was no fear. Whereas like, there seems to be in these, in these dreams, these like adult dreams, more, um, I don't know if it's chaos, there's like a stress involved or there's something, there's more like drama. That childhood dream is so, I don't know if innocence is the right word, but it was mm-hmm. so like peaceful really, despite the fact that I was actually, am afraid of whales and of drowning and like all that right. stuff. Hmm. So as you tell me about this recurring childhood dream, mm-hmm. what do you notice in your body? Like thinking about it, my body feels very peaceful Mm -hmm. and at ease in a way that confuses my mind. Talk to me about that confusion. There's like a tension between what I should feel, you know, falling into the ocean dark waters, which I was always terrified Mm -hmm. as a kid. And I was so afraid of whales. And yet in the dream, like end of drowning, but it's this whole, like, like I was even afraid of being in the bathtub as a kid, like that level of water was just scary to me. 
And yet in this dream, there's like so much peace of a, a lot of these factors that scare me in my mind, like the story of what these things would feel like if I was experiencing them, which of course I didn't even, right. I, I never drowned as a kid. Um, I had a very little exposure to whales growing up in a city. Um, but yeah, I had these stories. So the mind part is like these stories of the fears that I would experience if I encountered these things. And yet in the dream was like deep peace of like more of a witnessing. Mm -hmm. So your psychic reality in response to this dream is there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm. But your ego reality says this should be terrifying. Mm -hmm. So let's look at why your body doesn't perceive this as fearful, Mm. especially as a child. Mm. So what is the ocean? I mean, the first thing that comes up is like life, like life itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, there's something that feels maternal about the ocean as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's sort of the cosmic amniotic fluid, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. So, of course, a child hasn't been that far away from amniotic fluid. Mm-hmm. So a child would be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Now, so we're really in the territory of the cosmic mother, the archetypal mother, the ocean. And um, pretty commonly in human history, the ocean's associated with the feminine in many dreams and stuff that comes into the territory of the feminine because it is where it is the source of our original self. Mm. So let's imagine that you are in this, then this maternal territory. Who are you looking for? What's coming up is, are like stories that I have about my childhood. Um, And I don't know if it's, I mean, it's always me projecting. So let's, you know, I don't know where it's coming from, but there's definitely what a story that came up, even when you were talking about before of there being a difference between the mind's concept of safety in the bodies and one thing that feels like a, a an important part of my childhood that I've had to kind of grapple with was um, sleeping in a crib in a separate bedroom. And not always, but sometimes crying myself to sleep. Like that feels like that tension that like in reality, I'm safe and more than safe. You know, I have, you know, the lavish... <laughs> gifts of modern life of actually having a whole bedroom, you know, in a safe town and with parents that are sleeping in a different bedroom. But I know that 
as a young person, I very young, like I would have been pro- actually probably right around the times I was having those dreams. I was volunteering, rubbing the backs of the kids that were just like a few years younger than me. And like, usually it was the, almost the high school kids that were doing that, like the, the eighth the, uh, grade eights, you know, they're 12 or 13. And I was like seven or eight rubbing the backs of the four or five-year-olds at school. Cause I had this, like, even then this visceral knowing that kids needed to feel safe as they were like falling into dream world, I guess. And as they were falling asleep. So I've, I don't know how exactly I've like been working on that, but the sense of safety making my, well, I know, I guess there's the tension there. My body in the dream felt safe. My mind didn't. And it feels, yeah, it feels like um, one of those. So when you slept as a child, your place of rest, where you access the dream world mm-hmm. was separate from your parents. Mm-hmm. And you were little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems like too early you were leaving the parental body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you noticing in your body right now? Mm, I think sadness. Also not that I have this memory, but I know it is true that my mom went back to work when I was six months old, like she got six months of leave. So that's when I was um, weaned, like I stopped breastfeeding, which also feels like just this, like being torn from what is safe and, and natural and So let's go away from an intellectual judgment. Yeah, yeah. But where would your body have wanted to sleep? I'm like instantly just my on my mother's chest, like skin to skin, like on, I guess, right by the womb that felt like home Mm -hmm. where I was created. Yeah. Mm. So and so in those dreams, your body is longing to sleep on the mother's chest. Mm. You're in the realm of the cosmic mother, mm-hmm. but the physical mother is not there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what does your mouth want? I mean, at that in that from that place like the only thing that feels familiar is your mother's breast so your mouth wants your mother's breath mm-hmm. can you say my mouth wants my mother's breath there's a lot of resistance and i'm not sure why right. mm-hmm. so let's go into the resistance yeah Who is judging that that's not okay to say? I think it's the judgment that it's wrong as an adult. Like that's not an adult thing to want. Mm-hmm. And I'm now an adult and I shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't 
that's like a a child thing desire and an adult should not have a child desire but what if that adult's mouth didn't have enough time at the breast yeah and even but I'm even having the resistance to like I can see the internal dialogue of like me saying that as an adult it's like it's the self-judgment of um like even the awareness that it would be the inner child speaking right and the baby within speaking I have that awareness and yet because I'm in an adult body now I'm like you don't say that that's not what Mm-hmm. you feel as an adult and it's like not giving permission for the child to actually just speak right mm-hmm. so let's go to that child who mm-hmm. was weaned at six months mm-hmm. not only was she weaned no more mother's breast but the mother's body itself was gone mm-hmm. what do you notice about that child Um, It feels like confusion, like not understanding how the simplest, like the, the, just the word why feels very um, dominant in a way that like, it's the most, it's like the simplest thing to give to a child. So for someone new to the planet who like, doesn't understand, you know, maternal leave like I can't even it's like so unfathomable that as a concept to why you would ever leave the thing you've just brought onto the planet for any reason yeah and of course the child has no cognitive ability at six months to understand Mm. all the need for mom to go to work the child Mm -hmm. just feels like abandoned Mm -hmm. Now, have you ever played peekaboo with children mm-hmm. or hide and seek mm-hmm. up to a certain age? Well, actually, even older, you have to vary the game of hide and seek, but it's one of the most favorite games of children. Peekaboo, hide and seek. Mm-hmm. Little children stand there with their hands over their face, pretending they're hiding <laughs> and you can see them. So the whole game of hide and seek is I'm here, I'm not here. Mm -hmm. And how the child develops trust in the permanence of the parental object, Mm -hmm. because to them, the parent is the thing that grounds them. Mm -hmm. It is their ocean, it is their rock, it is their earth. So the child plays with, I can be alone, I can't. I can be alone, I can't. Mm You can't have me, you can have me. Mm-hmm. So it's this how permanent is relationship. And that's the game of hide and seek. We play it. Mm-hmm. And, but you can't find anyone in the dream. Mm-hmm. So when you're playing hide and seek, but there's no one playing with you, mm-hmm. what's that like? remembering the dream then 
it's it no emotion comes up more this like well someone's definitely like they're just hiding well you know it's kind of this innocent like I just haven't found them yet like right. despite there so being you, no you, humans at all in the dream I'm kind of like no I'll, like you know you know it, it, it's almost on me like I haven't I'm not a good enough finder as opposed to like the opposite yeah. Right. And that's where children go. There's somehow something wrong with me yeah. that I can't have mother's breath. There's something wrong with me mm-hmm. because I can't find mother or father or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the fundament of our narcissistic wounding mm-hmm. is what's happening in the world around us is somehow about us. Mm-hmm. Either it's happening because we made it happen or it's not happening because we're not worthy. Mm. But you see, a child is always worthy mm-hmm. of the mother's embrace, always worthy of the mother's breast, always worthy of the gaze of the loving parent. But when it's not there to be, re- to be reaffirmed to the child that they're worthy, then the child begins to say, well, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And we do fall into the darkness. Mm-hmm. We fall into the ocean. We fall back into the unconscious. And I mean, the whales themselves are an image of the mother, mm. great mother, the great transformative mother. Mm. So you can't have the earthly mother. So you fall into the cosmic mother, mm-hmm. which is sort of what addictions are about. Mm-hmm. Right? We can't have what we long for or desire. So we fall into the unconscious where we can feel met, feel seen, feel bliss. Mm -hmm. Now, it's sort of interesting because when we were talking about the hide and seek, it occurred to me that your work online is kind of like a big game of hide and seek. Mm. Elaborate. Hmm? Elaborate on on how. Does that make sense to you what I said? No. It makes no sense? Well, it feels like a, a stretch in my, like, there's not an immediate, like. It doesn't go. Well, here you're on, you're on this social media presence. Like here I am. Yeah. Find me. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're offering people the opportunity to find out about you, to find you. Mm-hmm. And then they tell you where they're hiding. Mm-hmm. They give you clues as to where they're hiding. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah, that feels very um, true. And also in a in another sense, in a hide and seek is like sharing, which I, I in even in things like this, i'm I'm striving to to not do the peekaboo in terms of only the things that I want to share, which I guess can only be if that's only the. <laughs> ultimately it can only be the things I want to share. You can't actually live stream your life. And I don't think that that's necessarily um, worth doing, but the intention is to share like a, like more of a complete, like the, the totality, not just like a lot of social media is the highlights, right? 
So that too can be a very peekaboo, like, oh, here's, you know, here was my great vacation and here was my mm-hmm. you know, awesome relationship. And so definitely I'm also, it feels healing for me to kind of show the different aspects, not just the grand and sparkly things. Right. Um, yes. What you're really saying is what you choose to share and what you choose not to share tells something about who you are, your values. Yeah. Definitely value. Yeah, exactly. And so even though we're playing hide and seek, mm-hmm. we're actually always revealing ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Even if we're pretending we're hiding. Yeah. And we're actually hoping someone will find us. Definitely. You know, I felt that so deeply in my last relationship is I I just wanted to be seen in like the totality, not just the things that I like about myself or I think are my strengths had this like yearning just to be fully seen. Right. Exactly. And not only fully seen, but someone who would know that you're more likely to hide in the linen closet than in the garage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I definitely, yeah, I did a lot of like, it's funny because I didn't, I mean, connect the dots between that hiding and seeking aspect of the dream, but that game. And I mean, for many kids, but it was so, I'm an only child. So it was like a constant version of that, you know, the, the upper, the cupboard above the fridge and, and also this tension between the being seen was always big. Like I remember I would be, you know, I don't even remember what I did being sent to my room and I would like cry under the door so that my parents would hear me. So there's this like tension of like, you know, like the hiding, but also the just wanting to be found. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. So it would seem that you're this recurring dream, which is happening around the age of seven, mm-hmm. which is really the age when children come out of the kind of fairy tale realm. Mm. Like they're starting to kind of move into stories that are more realistic mm-hmm. adventure stories from fairy tale stories. Mm. And so, so it's like the dream is almost like trying to prepare you for where is your mother ground? Mm. And but it's taking you back into the fairy tale realm because something hasn't yet been resolved. Mm-hmm. You didn't get to dwell long enough in the cosmic sort of ocean of the mother's presence, mm-hmm. which is very necessary for the child to move into a more cognitive realm, a more rational realm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the theme, like you said, the, you said the word abandonment, and that has been definitely this ongoing theme in a relationship for me as an adult and Mm -hmm. in a way that is difficult. There's almost like this, like slight guilt because I haven't been formally abandoned. You know, there's always like some people have literally been flat out textbook definition of abandoned and I'm like you know my parents are still together and I remember there being like a big chunk of my young adult life where I was like I had an awesome childhood and it's not to say that I didn't in many ways 
but this theme of abandonment is so like me choosing, like we were speaking about earlier, the projection into partnership that literally participating in dynamics where I am not chosen fully, Mm -hmm. like continuously for my whole life. And it is that like sense of, you know, you're going to, I don't know, I guess I'm abandoning myself in a sense because I'm participating in dynamics where there's very explicit, like you are not being chosen. And I have this like hypervigilance to being, um, yeah, left abandoned. So let's stay with the reality of your experience. Yeah. Not a judgment about it's a worthy experience. Right you experience the feeling of abandonment that's very difficult yes that is your psychic reality yeah very visceral like i can yeah yeah. so it's important to stay with that Mm -hmm. who is the band what is the feeling of being abandoned Mm -hmm. now a lot of in a lot of trauma work and trauma work is like the big grand thing right now Mm. And like once meditation was or something or yoga. Now, the, the, ch- the challenge with trauma is we make judgments about what is traumatic and what isn't. Mm-hmm. But you see, we can never go back into the psyche of the child or the individual to know their full experience. So what is really important, especially when we're trying to sort our own trauma, is it doesn't matter the judgment. Mm-hmm. It matters that that was profoundly disturbing for you. Mm -hmm. Even if it was only witnessing a dog barking at the postman and that has set you off for life versus being starved and beaten and all of that. It has to do with how your soul receives that experience as a threat to its very existence. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very careful of not judging the depth of effect of a trauma on us. So the feeling of abandonment is real. It's visceral. And that's all that you need to know. Mm-hmm. That's the only place you need to go to understand it more deeply. Mm-hmm. And to not compare it to other people's drama, traumas or dramas or anything. So mm-hmm. again, we have these judgments about you know, what is good, what is right, what is trauma, what isn't, what is abandonment, what isn't. And that's how actually we rationalize all sorts of brutalities in the world. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She'll get over it. They'll get over it. Well, that's not, you got it better than the other person or whatever. It's not, it doesn't matter. Your psychic reality is that something about not having your mouth on your mother's breast long enough has affected you at a very deep level. Mm-hmm. and keeps wanting your attention yeah. in every relationship you're in. Mm-hmm. And so it needs your attention. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you capitulate the wound by doing exactly what your mother did, which is take the breast away. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't want to demonize your mother. It's always complex why parents do what they do. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter who she is, what her intentions are the reality of her actions and choices and how they affected you, that's real. Mm-hmm. Now, forgiveness and understanding comes afterwards, but the very first thing is your mouth wants more breast. Mm-hmm. Your body is afraid of being abandoned. Mm-hmm. You're looking 
you're looking for the mother's body. You're looking to rest on her chest. That's the psychic reality. So the next step is to just stay with that, not intellectualize it, not judge it, not anything, just that's, that is the psychic reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me sad. That's very sad. Very sad thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have the like <laughs> the duality present of like just part of me just wants to cry. Part of me is like, well, now what? <laughs> like. You know, no yeah. one. Well, yes, all the judgments. You're a grown-up. You should get over it, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, is that you just wanted to be in your parents' bedroom. It was too far away. Mm -hmm. And you you didn't, you weren't ready for your mother to go to work. Mm -hmm. She hid too long. Made you too anxious. Mm -hmm. The hide-and-seek game is supposed to be quicker. Mm -hmm. Especially at that age. Especially at that age. Maybe no hiding at all is optimal. Peekaboo. Peekaboo yeah. is fine. And yeah. peekaboo, when the child knows you're behind the blanket. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. It's funny, yeah. that game, man, it's, it's just so true because it does evolve. Like, I remember playing it. I would, I would, when there'd be a box in the house, I would, like, you know, put the box outside and hide in the box, but it was still so flipping obvious. So it's like, it's not just the hands. Like I would hide my whole, phys I had like the degree of awareness that the body had to be then hidden, but like, you know. It's the same game. It's right? the same. Yeah, it's the same. And we do like that a little bit in all, in all of our, pardon me, I sorry, interrupt yeah. you. But in all of our intimate relationships, we play hide and seek. Yeah. If you really meditate on that, you see how that happens. But if someone hides too long or we hide too long, that something gets injured. Yeah. It really, trust gets broken. Well, I, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I shared it with you, but like, this is, it's, it is wild. I mean, our body is constantly this, the, this of this dream and the project projection of something that I'm currently in the process of creating is like a, an experience for um, people to like write down their whole life story according to them, like all the little things that they've experienced that they've felt, you know, the highs and lows of their life and um, for them to read it to me in like a safe container, just to be seen, like just to be fully seen and with no advice and no, you know, nothing, just literally like here I am, which is like the, the peekaboo, right? The showing yeah. of the self. Yeah. And exactly. And really that experience is for me, like that's it's it's only I'm only creating it because I feel it was in the, you know, in my past breakup, I just felt so and I knew and I actually fully acknowledged and acknowledge that the hiding too long or hiding aspects of myself was something I did. It's not like, 
uh, it's hard to explain. I guess like you can be angry that someone doesn't see you fully. And part of them is their capacity to see, but part of them is my responsibility to be seen, like to, sh- to let someone in, right. to yeah. show them the parts of me that I want to be seen instead of like cherry picking and like, you know, Ooh, that one, actually, I don't think you're ready for that one. Exactly. And so also to, we play the hide and seek game with ourselves. Yeah. So that's the ego in the psyche. Right. Right. We, we're, that the ego wants to hide aspects of itself because it thinks the psyche can't see it. <laughs> and, you know, and the psyche is like the mother, of course it sees it, right? And making judgments about what should or should not be seen. Mm. And so then we hide from ourselves. And that's part of our neurotic behavior, or challenging behaviors, is we are actually hiding from the truth of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because we can't trust that we will be found, that we will be received like you do with your, you were describing earlier with your people. It's like just to be seen. Mm-hmm. Don't trust that. My sense is that's probably enough for today. Yeah. You look like you're about ready for a nap. That was wild. It's good. Yeah. Um, I would stay with the dream a little bit more, maybe just let the write about it or draw the dream. Might even be more powerful to draw the dream. Mm -hmm. And do a little bit of imagination around whales. Mm -hmm. Like what do they what does a whale mean to you? What does it do? What does it look like? How does your body feel around a whale? What are your associations with a whale? Because we didn't get into that. But my overall impression of the dream is the child wants to fall back into the mother. Mm-hmm. She's playing hide and seek and the physical mother isn't there. Mm-hmm. So she wants to fall into the great mother, which is how we stay safe. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise it's too terrifying to live. So that's the power of our imagination. I want to, one thing I'll share too that came up when you said it's not to demonize your mother or whatever, I forget the word. Um, Like I had a very quick process in my mind of like, oh, well, my mother was actually going to work, you know, to support our family. And instantly in that, I'm like, but, well, first of all, the child doesn't know that. And Mm -hmm. also, it doesn't really matter. Like the intention doesn't really matter because a lot of people experience things from their mothers that weren't for their, you know, it wasn't like the mother left because she left or she met someone new and was like, meh, you know, whatever kid, like there's the, the, the spectrum of reasons actually doesn't matter. Like part of me was like, well, I want to put, my mom was a good mom. No, no, my mom, my mom did the good, you know, she was, but the reality is that the impact is what it is. And dwelling in the the light doesn't matter so much. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about. The trauma, the trauma is what the trauma is. Doesn't matter. You experience that as a trauma. Yeah. And so 
we can't judge it as good or bad or well, my parents are doing what they need. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So yes, absolutely. The intention doesn't matter. It is the effect. And mm-hmm. it's the effect that we have to pay attention to for the healing to take place. And then we can go through all the machinations. Mm-hmm. The other piece with respect to how we are traumatized is also not individual, but collective. Mm-hmm. So how is it such that we live in a society where a mother has to go to work and not breastfeed her baby, where is the support for her to feed that baby? Mm -hmm. Where is the social acknowledgement that the most important thing for an infant is its mother's breast? Mm -hmm. Who's making her breakfast? Who's supporting her? Mm -hmm. So she can do this most important work. And then, then I would lead you, this would lead into the work of Joseph Chilton Pierce, the magical child and the development of a nonviolent society. Mm-hmm. in which the development of a nonviolent society begins with the child at the mother's breast as long as the child needs to be there mm-hmm. with a non-anxious, with a well-loved, cared for mother. Mm-hmm. So there's not just a personal dynamic between you and your mother, but there's a collective dynamic that doesn't value that bond. Mm-hmm. I was listening to something just yesterday and the woman said she oh it was about her relationship to her breasts and how she she mentioned just in passing she breastfed her child until seven and a half and it was very fascinating to see my mind like the the multiple things like part of me being like wow you know wow that's incredible if if that is what was necessary for their bond for the child you know and then part of me was like that's too old (laughs) you know and yet I can see also that part of me like there being the collective judgment there being my own six-month-old baby being like well that's not fair (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah Yeah. Mm. okay my dear I'm sure there's much more we Mm -hmm. could say we'd go but I think and my mm-hmm. judgment is the point that probably you need to rest yeah. and absorb this. We've gone into um, a tricky place, this hide and seek. Mm-hmm. But like, it, I feel very open. Like it feels like light, you know, it's like a big, heavy, you know, full of stuff. But it also is like, it feels like I feel seen, I guess, which, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. okay my dear thank you you're welcome my pleasure my thank pleasure you so thank much. you for trusting in me mm. i do deeply <laughs> mm-hmm. we'll chat in three weeks we'll chat in three weeks mm-hmm. okay. thank you geraldine bye for now <laughs>